welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. I'm really late in recording this week, uh, in part because I went to a memorial for a friend who died last April, and so this was the opportunity to have a Mass at uh, 10 o'clock this morning, and then a little reception uh, outside later. And then after that, I had to run some errands, and so I got a late start. But I am happy to say I will get it done. I always worry that this will be the week that I won't get the podcast done because I'm either distracted or in a bad mood or I'm running around or whatever it is. But nope. I am here, I am doing it, and today, as you know, it's been an eventful week in the world of Catholicism, and so I guess I'm going to talk about that. When you think of it, when has it really been so that there hasn't been a week after week of eventful days and months and years in Catholicism? But unlike some of the long-ago historical events of our faith, scandals and debates both, we have, for the last 25 years plus, lived in a world of ever-increasing internet speed and opinions galore that come with everyone having access to that speed, and not necessarily any of us taking enough time to think about what we're saying. So, me too, alas. I hadn't originally planned on talking about the action of Pope Francis with his motu propria that lowered the ecclesiastical boom on the traditional Latin Mass, also known since Vatican II as the extraordinary form. Even the most ordinary of ordinary Catholics like me couldn't miss the, um, <laughs> I guess we'd call it paternal correction instead of a fraternal correction. Really, it was more than a correction. It was like sending the entirety of those who attend and those who celebrate the Latin Mass to their monastic rooms, or better, cells, for good. Although the traditional form has never been abrogated after Vatican II, it was initially greatly restricted. I remember once hearing about a very old Monsignor back in the 70s or so who refused to stop celebrating the traditional Latin Mass in favor of the Novus Ordo. He was a man born in the 19th century, so such a sweeping change. The liturgy must have seemed nearly to him the end of his priestly world. He did not have to resist long because he died not much after and did not have to see what some people say was a complete devolving wreck of the ceremony of the sacrifice of the Mass. Save, of course, and this is the key and what we must always remember that Jesus Christ truly becomes present in the Eucharist. That has never changed. Pope John Paul II and then Benedict XVI brought the traditional Latin Mass back into the near mainstream. Some people would say in competition with the Novus Ordo, which bled parishioners during the 60s, 70s, and right through to now. It may have been the Holy Father's intent to eradicate the parallel celebrations of the Mass, one that speaks the ancient Latin language, a language, it is said by some, which the devil hates and fears by his issuing of the now Procrustean restrictions. Diocesan parishes that have had the traditional Latin Mass will no longer have the right to do it, 
and many bishops have quickly imposed the limitations. Personal parishes, like those of the FSSP, the ones they oversee, who say exclusively the traditional Latin Mass and are under the pastoral care of the bishop, apparently will survive, but there aren't a lot of them. They are just as Catholic as anything in a Novus Ordo parish, and they agree that the Pope is their Pope. They are not, as far as I know, in schism. A little bit of history. The FSSP actually grew out of the SSPX, which was considered schismatic for a variety of reasons, including significant disobedience of the late Bishop Lefebvre in ordaining other bishops over the objection and interdict of John Paul II. For a while, it looked like they might be brought back into the fold. There were signs of rapprochement. Some of the sacraments they celebrate are permitted by the Holy See, at least for now. Well, they were, anyway. I don't know how this is going to affect them. The FSSP group, at the time, did not agree with the conduct of Lefebvre, and they stayed, if you will, with Rome, and were given official status. The term that was used is that they were erected in 1998 by John Paul II. Basically, what has happened is that the ability to say the Latin Mass has been greatly circumscribed, although there's a lot of debate over the eight points made by the Pope in his motu propria. One is that any new formed priest who wants to say the TLM after this motu propria cannot do so. Uh, at least they can't just do so like they were able to before if they were properly trained, etc. He has to go to his bishop, and the bishop has to go to the Vatican for permission. Now, one can imagine, given the nature of the motu propria and how it's expressed, <laughs> whether the answer is going to be, go ahead, go do it. Uh, maybe not. Over the years, the traditional Latin Mass has become pretty routine, a little behind the scenes, but most Catholics knew where to find them, and they have, especially during the time of this COVID lockdown, when so many Novus Ordo parishes simply closed in lockstep with the government's wild and crazy following of the so-called science, increased their congregations because they fed their parishioners with the sacraments. It probably helps that there's real catechesis in the traditional parishes. I doubt there were many parishioners in a trad parish, that's the somewhat curt term for them, who have not been taught and believe that the Eucharist that they receive at every Mass, any Mass, including the Novus Ordo, is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. And again, as though I have said, that is equally true of any Novus Ordo Mass, alas, as the Pew Research has sadly demonstrated a large percentage, like 69% of Catholics in the U.S., most of whom attend the Novus Ordo because the numbers of people who attend the traditional parishes is very small comparatively that they do not believe in the United States, do not believe that the host is our Lord really and truly. You know, that's close to three-quarters of the whole of the Catholic population in the United States. What is it in Europe? I, I couldn't specifically find on any quick search, but I suppose it would be even less. So, why has the Pope done this? Well, what he said, and I'm paraphrasing, is that the intent of allowing the more free use of the traditional Latin Mass especially freed up by the still-living Benedict, was to create more unity within the Church that the Pope feels, our current Pope feels, was not forthcoming. 
The Pope sent around some kind of questionnaire to bishops around the world, and based upon their responses, the actual substance of which I do not think has been released, he concluded that the traditional Latin Mass was causing disunity, and in fact that the folks at the TLM were basically denying the Pope as the the proper leader of the Church on earth, and that they were basically denying Vatican II as having any legitimacy. In addition to the fact that we don't know what the questions were that prompted the quick and harsh response from the Pope, it's not clear if it was sent to all the bishops around the world, and it certainly appears that neither the priests who celebrate the TLM nor the people who attend were given any chance for input, even the most cursory. And I'm guessing that neither were the Novus Ordo folk, at least no one consulted me, but why would they? (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm being somewhat facetious and silly. The disunity, if I understand it, is centered in the Pope's view in the failure to accept Vatican II and the opened window into the modern world, as I said, or you could argue that it was the opposite way, that the modern world poured through the church and that's the source of the disunity, and consequently a challenge to the Pope's authority. Now the Pope was ostensibly concerned that this parallel celebration was separating from the one true church. So, and I'm being a little informal in my expression of his response, he wants to get people back into the Novus Ordo fold as the primary celebration of the sacrifice of the Mass. And perhaps his hope was that all would be well, but this last week has seen a level of commentary, some thoughtful, a lot mean-spirited on both sides, and has shown that worldly pride is alive and active inside the church because we are, after all, a church of sinners, as always it has been. So far, the church, over all the centuries, has survived these internecine battles, and hopefully it will survive this one. I don't think I'm going to be able to join the far more intellectual debates about what's going on, at least not yet. The information and the discussion is overwhelming, and if the bishops are having trouble figuring it out and have to consider it, well, you know, who am I to make the attempt? I sound like, who am I to judge? Which is true, who am I to judge? And these are the times I always reiterate that I'm just an ordinary Catholic like all the other ordinary Catholics out there, and I'm just trying to navigate the the minefields myself. I want to talk about my personal observations, such as they are, about what got us here to this battlefield du jour, and then I'll offer my hopefully humble opinion as one who attends a Novus Ordo, and I always have to add a respectful Novus Ordo, no guitars or Isidore Duncan dances on the altar. Have they ever been at my parish in the 30 plus years I've been there? Now, I seem to remember that there was this one event that occurred some years ago in celebration of a great feast that was very multicultural, very colorful, very beautiful, and it was, however, a bit questionable liturgically speaking, though beautiful in a festive secular way. Not my style, and it hadn't happened before or since. And I admit, when it did happen, I was way uncomfortable with the altar turned into a stage. I've mentioned some of the personal historical background in prior podcasts, my personal historical background. I started kindergarten in 1959, so I went through the years till 1970 when the Novus Ordo was fully installed. Trained as a Catholic and attending what is now called the Extraordinary Rite, 
or the traditional Latin Mass, or as I learned last night in going through commentaries, the Mass of all time. There really are sort of overlapping periods in that 10 years plus from 1959, which 1959, I was five years old, really doesn't count because even five-year-olds were not handed the Baltimore Catechism or really taught much about it. That came when we could actually read or at least understand what Mother Ursula or Mother Mary Agnes read to us, say in my case around 1961 or 1962. In May of 1961, I received my first communion. The plant of my school, the physicality of the building in which I received my entire grammar school education was literally from the 19th century, the 1850s and upward. Part of it was the convent for the Ursulines, that part that we were assiduously kept separate from, the dividing line between the school, the wide wood railing stairs, the tall windows, the warmth of browns and ambers and statues and holy paintings was the convent library. There we would occasionally have some event and on occasion during a fire drill we went into the receiving area of the convent behind these these doors, these double doors, and we would have to line up and be silent as we walked down the stairs in practice for the real thing. Oh, and occasionally in one of the parlors, we would be led, this it seems somewhat macabre these days, but this is what we did. We would be led to the casket of one of the elderly sisters who had passed uh, early uh, as children to see the reality of death. So I can remember being about six or seven years old doing that. And we marveled at the yellowed paper vows and the cold hands that also held the rosary beads. Now people say, oh, that was horrible. Uh, maybe I wouldn't have been able to articulate it then. But I think early on I knew that life on earth wasn't a rehearsal and that there were significant things to be done here and a direction beyond myself. That's not to say I wasn't afraid of death and I sure was and for a very long time in an unconscious way the fear of death appeared in my dream life. It was a little harsh I think expecting children always to see themselves as sinners. That's one thing I want to say that what really happened to a lot of us in the period since the end of Vatican II was that we were whipsawed from one extreme, a kind of Catholic version of the Protestant sinners in the hands of an angry God by Jonathan Edwards hanging over an abyss on a string. That's not really Catholic dogma because our dogma includes repentance and forgiveness, but that was sort of the image that often came to my mind. And then we went to this other extreme where it's kind of like, okay, sin? What's a sin? That isn't what was said when the changes occurred, but it was certainly what I was going to say initially, I was going to say trickled down to us, but in fact, it was like a deluge washing over you and burying you under the waves. So what I was saying about from the period 1959 to 1965, it was really for me the old way. We were children from another age. Even our chapel was from another time. High choir chairs, dark wood, all wood, the Westminster clock chiming on the quarter hours, the heavy velvet drapes instead of doors on the confessionals. It could easily have been a small chapel in Europe, although Europe was something I did not yet know. In an architectural way, 1965 was also the year of the, quote, change, even though the Novus Ordo was just starting to slip in and was not yet fully installed by decree that all Latin Rite churches had to 
uh, say it. Pope John the Twenty Third had been dead for a while. Pope Paul VI came to the U.S. in there somewhere. We were told that our womb-like chapel was a fire hazard and there would be a new, fresh one. What was built was round and it was bright marble and it was modern in the extreme. In fact, it didn't look anything like a church. And interestingly, in the last few years, when much of the property of my school was sold because they don't have any nuns. They don't have a lot of kids coming to school. The grammar school is long since gone. I was the last of the grammar school grades. The uh, current, or the 1965 church in the round, is now just a meeting hall. It's very pretty. It's got stained glass windows in a very, you know, novo art sort of thing. No actual pictures of saints, if my memory uh, is right. Just sort of, you know, any beautiful stained glass, but just stained glass. Anyway, I'm digressing. It, it just didn't look anything like a church. And right now it's probably better as a meeting hall. By 1968, when I graduated eighth grade and we had our ceremony in the, quote, new chapel, as we called it, I'm sure we were already seeing the mass celebrated in the Novus Ordo way. I had to look this up. It was being celebrated before 1970. And as I said, it was in 1970 that was a decree that it required it to be adopted holy by the Latin church. So I started high school in 1968. And after, say, the freshman year, some nuns left. One I heard got pregnant and married, and I'm not sure in what order those things occurred. The Ursuline habit changed radically. They lost a bit of what? Um, the nuns lost a bit of mystery with that change. And Jesus Christ Superstar was played in our religion classes over and over again. For someone like me, who did not have a home that practiced faith, though as I say always, I'm grateful that my mother and my father allowed the foundation to which I did return. There was really nothing holding me to whatever this was, particularly as I was a teenager among teenagers, agonizing in the usual ways and in some ways unique to me. At graduation in 1972, we were back in the new chapel and singing You've Got a Friend or something similar as one of our, quote, hymns. What got conveyed to us between 63 and 70? Nothing we could, at least I could, make sense of. It was as if we went from one universe to another. No one mentioned the documents of Vatican II. No one explained why it had been a sin to eat meat on Friday one day and not even slightly an issue the next. And of course, that discipline really didn't change. You're still requested not to eat meat on Friday, but who knew that? To me, the ordinary Catholic, the seeds of division, real division, the division not caused by the old rite, but by poor liturgical and theological planning, was sown. And in the meantime, the summer of love and other summers of a similar ilk had consumed the nation. The girls of Mount St. Ursula rolled up their plaid skirts and began adorning the uniforms with things secular, little pouches with love potions, and wore their hair streaked with blonde, sun-in, or some such thing, and with laxity came the acceptance of things that the church ostensibly still said was sinful and unchanging truths that were supposed to be adhered to but no one talked about anymore and no one intervened. No one in authority intervened because some of the people in authority were off doing their own thing. I always say when I describe what it felt like that it was like someone came into a room where we're all being very serious, trying to be holy and, and thoughtful, and was wearing a cowboy hat and carrying a lasso and saying, Yahoo! 
and everybody ran out the room and did their own thing, just like the nuns had previously. It might have taken the clerics years to formulate their reasons for the aggiormento, the letting in of French air. What seemed to be the case was that all that went before, which we had also no understanding of because it wasn't taught once we were old enough to understand more than wrote, because things had already changed, was as nothing. The past was as nothing. It was as if there were no history before 1965 to 1970 in the Catholic Church, which, by the way, is not very different from what's happening now, where people are actually talking about the past, rewriting the past, or ignoring the past in their discussions of the present and the future. So this is a common human failing, I guess. If you're old enough, you may remember that great saints were determined never to have existed, just like that. In fact, St. Ursula, which was the name of my school, still is the name of the school, was determined not to have ever existed. So that's at least how things came down to us, peons in the Bronx. I can't imagine that in the cornfields of Iowa that things were coming down any better. Religion class in college, a Jesuit university already on the way to progressive politics as a substitute for faith, the world of Joseph Campbell and the hero of a thousand faces. I mean, basically, there was sort of an implicit concept that Catholicism was just another myth. Now, don't get me wrong, I was fine with it. I wasn't practicing my faith. I felt sad about that in a way, and almost as if one day I'd probably come back to it in some way or another, or as I repeat in episode after episode, the twitch upon the thread. There was nothing really intellectual in my experience of the change from the traditional Latin mass line of thinking to the Novus Ordo line of thinking, and by 16 anyway, I found the Novus Ordo boring, besides having my own struggles, with whom I had no one to share. Now, my parents were decent, as decent as they could be, but they're not an option when you were a 16-year-old. They had their own struggles, and I couldn't articulate my problem clearly anyway. There were things I could have read, I guess, that would have brought me back earlier. I'm sure there were, but I didn't have a mentor at the time, a priest. I didn't know any priests, actually, or anyone to lure me in. When my mother died in 74, my father arranged a Catholic funeral at our local parish. The priest seemed to be indifferent to our family as he rode in the front seat to the cemetery in our limousine, reading what I presumed to have been a prayer book. He had no ill will, I'm sure. He probably even didn't realize it. But what an opportunity lost for both of us. He had an opportunity to bring this lapsed kid back to the church. I wasn't that much of a kid then. I was 20 by then. But he didn't know. He didn't ask. I was like every other young adult at the time. I didn't get the church, and I didn't hear anything to compel me. And the rote stuff had stuck in a way enough to ultimately bring me back, but not until I was 27 years old when I decided actually to be an adult and study my faith slowly and anxiously. The parish I happened to find, which was in California because I had moved here by then, was a perfect blend of a traditional expression of the Novus Ordo. It has often occurred to me, though I understand there are people who disagree, probably on both sides of the traditional versus Novus Ordo battle, that the Novus Ordo reverently celebrated, without the poor kabuki theater in which it has often been disguised, properly focused on God who holds out his hand to his people, is wonderful that it wouldn't drive people so much to the traditional Latin mass, but... 
the people have to know the enormity of what God offers and be reverent and serious and aware of what is happening in return. Properly celebrated, one knows what is happening on the altar. Our parish has incorporated Latin and beautiful old-style music. Did you know that the entire Novus Ordo can be said in Latin and ad orientum, that is, the priest facing the altar? Because our parish was so reverent in its celebration of the Mass, and because I barely remembered the liturgy of the extraordinary form, and yes, because I would no longer be able to lecture or serve if I attended the traditional form, I didn't feel compelled to make a change. However, I did and do understand what was and is its attraction, because I did know that most parish celebrations, not our parish, but many that I had gone to, were banal and geared only to the people's desires and not centered on God. How do I know? I used to speak for a pro-life pregnancy center that was raising funds and went around to multiple Catholic churches, particularly on the west side of Los Angeles. I saw people walk out on pro-life homilies. I saw people walk out on things that I said, even though all I was speaking was the truth of the Catholic Church. I saw how people tut-tutted a Catholic who thought that you are supposed to follow the dogmas of the church. I've seen how sparse was the attendance. I have seen how people receive communion in the hands. Now, I have no objection to it theologically, and, you know, I'm not really a theologian, so I'm not going to argue about that. But I understand the objection because there is little reverence in the receipt, and there seems to be no understanding that that host is God. I have seen, like everyone else, the sexual perversion of supposedly chaste men. And one thing I do know is that the old mass and the old traditions are not actually old. They are a framework for the truth that in the average Novus Ordo seems to be lost. That may not be the intent, but that seems to be the result. And if the idea was to draw people in, well, it sure did not happen. What did happen as the years passed, and less restriction was put on the traditional Latin mass, People flock to it, particularly young people. So as to the divisiveness, if there was some overpowering divisiveness that required a papal nuclear bomb, I haven't seen it, not here. As I said earlier, the divisiveness was caused to me by the poorly explained changes way back. Some may have been fine, others ridiculous, and not all of them, perhaps not most of them, were really changes wrought by the council. Back to the two groups today, the Norvis Odo and the traditional, I have seen preferences. I have seen typical human pride at work on both sides. I did experience a sense of being an outsider if I attended the Novus Ordo, and as if the Gnostic traditionalists were looking at me as some sort of poor fool. But then I've also heard less than charitable comments from the Novus Ordo aficionados referred to, uh, referring to the TLM folks as, quote, the Latins. The way to deal with that, it seems to me, would have been, Pope Francis has said, that he is a promoter of dialogue and education. Perhaps a sermon on the Pharisee and the publican and the sinfulness of one saying about the other, thank God I am not like him. That might have been a serviceable response. But I have seen nothing like the catastrophe wrought by the 1960s changes that were dropped like a nuclear bomb, leaving the faithful to fend for themselves catechetically. In fact, the traditional Latin Mass provides a sort of raft where, wherein the Novus Ordo sometimes fails. Let me put it this way. As an attendee of the Novus Ordo Mass, and shall I again, I have to keep reminding people that Jesus Christ becomes present in each of those Masses. 
I have lots of reservations about what the Pope did here. They are some of the same reservations that much more learned people have articulated better than I ever will. The first I've alluded to. Who actually claimed that the Tridentine Mass and the increase in attendance to it was divisive? Isn't that the same word that was applied to Father Altman? And, you know, when you say divisive, are you saying that it pointed out the failures of the expression of Vatican II? And is that necessarily a bad thing? I accept that the Pope is the Pope. I don't know of any traditional Latin Mass parishes that don't. I accept the fact that Vatican II, and had it been properly explained, there would not have been this problem. If the discipline of the Church had not been abandoned as a consequence of the perfect storm of the open window and the tsunami of the society that flowed in. The way the Pope reacted, though, it seems like a revolution was beginning and the trads were coming to the Vatican with pitchforks and fire, but that simply wasn't true. Critique is not, per se, disobedience. The second, there seems to be an utter inability for the Pope and other leaders of the Church to say that people, any people, famous or infamous, who advocate and promote sin, still sin in the Catholic Church, grave sins, cannot receive communion. Unlike the issues related to the Novus Ordo versus the traditional Mass, this is clear-cut. Either you accept what the Church teaches or you do not. If you do not, and you make a public spectacle of your heresy while telling the world that you are devout and that this is true Catholicism, the Pope and bishops and priests should be able to say, no, this is not critique, this is disobedience, and there is a consequence. But after 50 years plus of dialogue, the Pope is happy to keep dialoguing here while literally seeming to punish faithful Catholics who happen to see the spiritual problems with the Novus Ordo and the attitude of many, though not all, who attend that it's about what they want and how they feel and the Church accompanying them on whatever road they take, even if it is counter to the teachings of Jesus Christ. The edict so focuses on Vatican II and its emanations that it acts as if the ample history before never existed. The reasons seem less theological than emotional and reflexive. It seems kind of a I don't want to say a slap in the face, but certainly not a warm and fuzzy to both Pope John Paul II, but he's dead, so you know he's not even knowing about it. At least he may know about it up in heaven, but he doesn't know about it, and he's not going to be debating it. And Benedict, who happens to still be alive. Others say that for a pope to insist on people not being rigid, this was about as draconian a response as he could have mustered. It may not have been an intent, but it certainly is predictable that the action is driving people and will drive people away from a church that's already hemorrhaging the faithful. They would be wrong, of course, to do that, to walk away. Either the teaching of the church is true or it's not. And to leave it is effectively to suggest that it's not true and using the excuse that simple men prove that. No, it actually proves the opposite. It remains true despite the actions of sinful human beings. Instead of taking a close look at the failures of communication to the people of God from and after the implementation of Vatican II, about what it was that Vatican II really stood for, and that it was a continuation of the history of the Church, not its center, the leader of the Church declares what appears to be a war against a legitimate liturgical expression by people who need the frame of the ancient in order to be good people, to be Catholics. It is hard to go to the average Novus Ordo 
And again, I always like to repeat, not my parish. I think in some ways my parish, if I had been in another parish, I would be gone. This parish, I've been there 30 plus years, and I feel as if God is very much present and that my job is to worship God there. Anyway, I'm diverging again. As I said, my experience, which today continued at that memorial that I went to for a parish friend, has been a novus ordo that does not suggest that the faith has changed in any way, but has allowed me and others to dialogue with God in a way that I seem not yet able to do with the traditional Mass. So again, I'm not speaking theologically. Probably my theology or any theology is absent here. But that to express my feelings such as it is, is the reason I still prefer the Novus Ordo. How do I express this other feeling? When I have attended the traditional Mass, maybe because it's being celebrated by younger men who weren't there back in the old days prior to 62, it has always felt to me that they're trying too hard and the effect is less worship than theater. You know, it's kind of the opposite of the Isadora Duncan of the Novus Ordo. It's, it's, it, it feels as if they're really, that they're working on trying to present something to the people rather than what is intended, which is the, is the service itself. That inhibits at least my, my ability to worship. But that was one of the things I liked before the Pope did what he did, that the traditional Mass was available. And in these strange days where so many seemed intent on eradicating any semblance of the teaching to the Church, I had been considering attending those Masses along with my Novus Ordo liturgy. It demonstrated the richness of the faith, the tradition, the historicity, the depth of spirituality. If tomorrow my parish, with its Novus Ordo reverence, were gone, I know that the traditional Mass is where I would go. I do not think that the traditional Mass separates us from Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. I think it emphasizes him in a way that the Novus Ordo does not, unless you are really paying attention and you have been well-schooled in the faith. They are both legitimate celebrations of the sacrifice of Jesus, but the traditional Mass has a depth, a nuance, that the average Novus Ordo Mass does not. And as I understand it, the catechesis in those places that celebrate it is far more substantial and consistent with the actual teaching of the Church that have not changed, though the introduction of the Novus Ordo would have given the average churchgoer the idea that it had. You know, before the uh, COVID lockdown, our parish was reinstituting uh, these classes about the teachings of the Church. And I recall that uh, we did uh, a Bishop Barron class, a very good one, on the Eucharist. And I can't tell you how many of the people who attended did not understand, just like the Pew Research told us, that this was actually God, and had no idea of the Old Testament underpinnings of the Eucharist. A lot of them were like me. They had been part of the church for a while, and then they were gone for many years, so a lot had happened. And whatever their education had been, like mine, it wasn't really in-depth. And so they left, not knowing very much, and when they came back, they came back without any kind of catechesis because there was none available. If the leaders of the church would go back to the fundamentals, there might not have been this concern about division. Many Novus Ordo parishes have attenuated from the fundamentals, while the traditional parishes and groups have emphasized them. I can tell you something that this strange action to me by the Pope did to me. It kind of reignited my thoughts about attending some Masses at the local FSSP. 
I had been thinking about it before, but now, in a world where the leaders of the Church of Vatican II seem willing to wink at every form of deviation from the tenets of the faith, while the traditional are trying to remain true to it and are being arguably punished for it, I'm thinking that maybe they have a point in their concerns. Notice that I said the leaders of Vatican II. Again, it wasn't Vatican II, the council, that is the problem in and of itself. It is certainly a legitimate council, but the takeaways from the council seem to have deviated from it and were recast then as the truths of Vatican II, when really nothing had changed theologically from the Council of Trent, at least nothing substantial. Obedience, the word, the concept of obedience, comes from the Latin ob odiere, odire, which means to listen to, to give ear to. As I understand it, it doesn't mean that you as a faithful person stop thinking or asking questions. There's going to be a lot more analysis and opinion related to the motu propria in the next days and weeks. Let's be attentive and thoughtful and most of all charitable. It's kind of a parallel to the debates in the political world and we are all in a crucible that makes kindness hard to come by and I have to acknowledge that my sensibility, my sense of charity gets tested way too often but we need to be kind in our opinions. Firm is okay, mean is not. Here is one good thing, at least for this ordinary Catholic. The nuttiness of the secular and Catholic world has motivated me, the most lazy of prayers, to more prayer. I have a long way to go before I am consistent or really attentive, but I am on the road in a way that I wasn't in the past. For me, not having anything to hold on to in this crazy time and place has emphasized the essence of the one true God. That, as I said in other podcasts, isn't the case for everyone. Some people withdraw. Some become Howard Hughes without hope. But some pray more. I think there are a lot of us in that category right now. Good, because ultimately it is prayer and persistence in prayer that will lead us home. Home, not being here, but with God. Well, we come to the end of another ordinary old Catholic me on a trending subject, which is the issue of the traditional Latin Mass and its fate going forward. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it wasn't just another bit of overwhelming information. I will probably keep up on this and maybe we'll speak about it again as things develop, but uh, I just couldn't let it go. It's been deeply on my mind. I hope you enjoyed the program. If you do, please comment or like it or whatever you have to do and keep listening. It helps me know what to continue to do for you as other ordinary Catholics.